Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Thursday, November 30th, 2017. And for the first time, we have our second edition in the same day of LOA Today. Because those of you who are listening this morning heard me with Joel Elston. Wendy, it's another breakthrough day. Two shows in one day. I can't believe it. it- it is a breakthrough, and it's definitely telling us that we are building big-time momentum for this show. Oh, no kidding. Huge big-time momentum. I mean, I don't think there are adjectives large enough to describe it right now. <laughs> it's like momentous momentum. Momentous, that's right. In fact, we were talking just before we went on air here about how we're, we're building this whole energy thing and, and it, I mean I, I was telling you a story about how I had been kind of feeling just a little bit down before this because of an event that had happened and you were bringing me back to you know the goal of what we have with this thing and it just shot me right up the scale uh, it, that's what happens when you're in this kind of, of building growth of, of energy and enthusiasm and excitement mode it just it's like oh, it's like riding a good roller coaster I usually don't like roller coasters but this is a good roller coaster this is a good one. You don't get an upset stomach when it's over. <laughs> yeah, there's no losing of the cookies in this one. <laughs> That's what I used to hate about roller coasters because I get off of it. I, I felt like I needed to fall on the ground just to get my stability back. Not with this. This is entirely different. <laughs> well, good. Well, I was so glad to be a part of bringing you up. Um, it I makes me feel it. good to know that I have the ability to do that with nothing more than just sharing my ideas. That was it. Yeah. Well, it refocused. And refocus is, of course, one of the key points of pivoting when you're focusing on something that doesn't make you feel good. Because, boy, the thing I was thinking on before, I, my my stomach was in knots. So it definitely didn't feel good. I mean, I was definitely in alignment in terms of understanding what my emotional set point was. And it wasn't good. And we just whipped it right out of that range. I mean, it was quick. <laughs> That's cool. Which is well, actually... you know, I I, oh, I know ahead. you told it was, told me what the topic was going to be for the day. Yeah. And I'm thinking because what we're talking about is so aligned with our topic. Do you want to introduce our topic so that people will be on the same page with us? Sure. Yeah. The topic is the pursuit of happiness. And, of course, the concept of the pursuit of happiness, that comes from the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson wrote it and so forth. But it's also a very key concept in the law of attraction. And that's what made it so appealing to me. It's like, oh, wow, this is like a double meaning thing because the pursuit of happiness is a, a part of the American dream. But it's also part of pursuing the best of the science of deliberate creation within the law of attraction. So it's, it's a great overlap. I love it. It is awesome. And, you know, just to say, so, talk about something funny, um, I don't know if you've ever heard Esther comment on this, or actually it was Abraham talking about Esther, how one night she was in a hotel room, and she was looking for something to watch on TV, and she was kind of flipping through all the stations, and she found this movie called The Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, she thought to herself, oh, my gosh, this is my kind of movie. Yeah. Now, do you know any, do you, have you seen that movie? I don't even recognize the title now. Okay, um, Jada Pinkett Smith, her husband is Will Smith. Okay, mm-hmm. so Will Smith is the star in that. Oh, okay. And he goes through, he's a single dad, he's got a kid who's about eight years old. He goes through so many gyrations Oh, of I loss. do know this movie, yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah, I didn't like, see the whole thing, but I saw pieces of it, yes. It, it was such a powerful movie and yet it was so hard to watch because mm. this guy couldn't catch a break. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was just one painful episode after another after another. And hope and thank goodness, by the time the movie comes to an end, things turn out in a really good way for him. But here's what Abraham was saying that Esther was thinking to herself. It's like, oh, my God, you'd think a movie with the title Pursuit of Happiness would be happier than this. <laughs> and no human and she said no human on the planet should go through this much suffering. <laughs> well that's the one good thing and about have, our show. And I have to agree. That that's the one good thing about our show because our show is we call it your daily dose of happy. And we actually deliver that. We we promise not to deliver unending agony. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, Walt, if it ever goes into agony, I'm done. Uh, well, I am you know, too. I like to feel good. Close the doors, it's over. It's over. So 
I just want everybody to know that if you watch the movie The Pursuit of Happiness and you felt any of the pain and suffering that was in that movie, that is not what our topic is about today. <laughs> That's right. That actually explains why I didn't see the movie. I'm sure I saw some of the previews and I said to myself, no, not interested. Well, <laughs> I'm not and, you going know, there. It's fascinating because I love Will Smith as an actor. I just... I can't get enough of watching him. He's so incredible. He is, yeah. But after I saw that movie once, I remember seeing it in some store, like, oh, I could get the DVD, and I went, oh, no, I can't put myself <laughs> through that torture again. <laughs> it's actually one of the funny and, and sad and amazing and really interesting things about modern entertainment. Even the movies that have happy endings usually put you through a ringer before they'll let you get to it. And it's a topic that I've thought about a lot. I, I've often wondered, why is it we don't have more positive stories? And the answer I've gotten back, uh, partly through talking to my sister, who was a theater major, so she was able to explain a lot of good stuff to me, is that the dramatic essence of conflict and conflict resolution is the basis for most stories. And it's what makes Absolutely. the stories engaging and so forth. And, and yes. I thought and, about and it. Actually, if, if we didn't have the negative part and it was all happy, we probably would be bored and we wouldn't, that they wouldn't make any money on the movie. Well, I've also thought about this in the context of trying to feel happiness and being in a joyful, high vibration place from the perspective of the law of attraction. And Joel and I actually talked about this this morning. It's the question of, is it possible to always stay in a high, high, high vibrational place? And the counter-argument that's often given to that is, well, if your vibration level is always high, 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 you don't really experience contrast. And contrast is so vital to the experience of life here on this planet, as well as in the non-physical, apparently. And I thought about that, and I, I keep thinking to myself, is it really impossible to see conflict and contrast when you are in the highest vibrational level? And I, I have to say, I don't think it's impossible. I think what happens is... If you're really at that high vibrational level, super, super high level, you, you can see the contrast, but you just don't dwell on it. It doesn't mean that it isn't there, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't inform you which way you want to go. It's just you don't dwell on it. And when you don't dwell on it, now you're no longer attracting the negativity into your life. You're, you're attracting what you want to attract, what makes you feel good. You, do you disagree? Do you think I'm, I'm crazy? Um, well, no, I don't think you're crazy. Um... Well, maybe I'm not trying hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that there, here's a couple thoughts. Um, first of all, if we didn't have contrast, our our society, our human beings, we could not expand because expansion is a result of contrast. Mm -hmm. So to me, just by that definition alone, that expansion is the result of contrast, would kind of give me the thought that it's not – meant to be possible for us to stay in the highest level of vibration and never fall out of it because if we were if we could do that it would be possible for us to no longer expand as a human race yeah I, that's the point i keep going back and forth in my own mind about and and i'm not here's sure a, yet. here's something that abraham talks about is you know you've heard the phrase the joy is in the journey mm-hmm so over years, I've been, I've been getting a better understanding of what that really means for me personally. And the joy is, like you and I before the show, we were talking, or maybe it was since the show, I can't even remember now, <laughs> about the roller coasters. <laughs> right, that was today, yeah. It, it's kind of like you stand in line for two hours to get on a roller coaster that lasts less than two minutes. Mm -hmm. And I know I've done this before, out in the hot sun, the rush of the roller coaster was so exhilarating, mm. I was willing to endure getting in line for another two hours. <laughs> and then the rush of the second time was still so exciting, I got back in line and did it again. So I think that illustrates um, what we're talking about in terms of I think we're meant to experience something that feels so good and the rush is so powerful but it's like we couldn't sustain that roller coaster ride forever and ever. There, I'm sure there's a reason it's only for a couple minutes. 
I think it's more than our whole being can handle. So I think we go on these incredible journeys where, like, you know the beginning of the roller coaster where you hear the clickety-clickety-clickety-click as you're going up the hill? Yeah, my stomach's getting sick as you're saying that, but go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, for those of us who love roller coasters, it's like, I think of that as the pre-full-blown manifestation. Like you're going up the hill, and there's anticipation, and you, you're, like, expecting something really cool to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And then you get at the top, and then you go flying down this roller coaster through loops and cur- tur- curves, etc. And you get this incredible rush in your body, and you're loving it. But then you ca- you're not let down in terms of, oh, no, I'm sad and depressed. It's just you're not on the same level of high as when you were going through the rush. Yeah, I think what we're actually talking about here is um, when I'm talking about being at the highest level, you're taking that as an absolute, and I don't necessarily mean that as an absolute, so I think perhaps we're talking about the same thing. I'm, I'm not saying that when you're at a high level, the, the highest level, and you see a contrast, that you're still remaining at the highest level. I mean, just the act of seeing the contrast brings you down a tiny bit. I mean, you're so high you wouldn't notice the difference anyway, but it does bring you down a bit. So there is there is something that goes on there. And I think really the, the the big question is, how low do you want to go be, before you fly back up again? Because what well, you're talking about is, we that, talk- is that joy that what, you said that was so much. When we were so talking much. about set points the other day, yeah. to me, yeah. I've made that clear to me. It's like I don't last in the contrast but 15 minutes to an hour because – feeling good is so good and I'm there most of the time that's hmm. my natural set point right that to be outside of that is really uncomfortable and as Joel would point out and I think he actually did point out this morning I mean there's so much of his life that ha- that by all measures has been absolutely miserable but that doesn't mean that's where he spends his time focusing on it he focuses on the part where he came out of it and where he was working his way out, and all the great stuff that came out of it, and what the final result was that was so great, and so forth. So he's actually grateful for you know the, the bad stuff that happened. He just doesn't think of it as bad anymore. He just thinks of it as a springboard to the good stuff. I agree. Yeah. I totally agree with that. So I, I guess perhaps we're mincing words, but it's fun anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, no two people on the planet – are ever going to agree on using the exact same words. Yeah, right. But I think a lot of us have a similar vibration, and we're moving toward the same things. We just express it differently. Yes, which is what makes it interesting, I think. And, yeah, I was going to say, if you and I expressed everything with the exact same words, this would be a really boring show. Really. It would be very, very slow, very tiring. Yes, no <laughs> doubt about it. And in, in the topic of... You know, how you tell a story, the idea of in a story there's a conflict and there's a resolution and then there's other stuff that goes along with that. But it's the conflict and resolution part that makes it an interesting story. It also occurs to me that conflict and resolution, conflict doesn't have to be the misery of failing, 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 failing like happened in the movie The Pursuit of Happiness. Conflict doesn't have to be so dramatically bad in order for us to appreciate it. Agreed. And that's what makes it possible okay. to have happy stories. Something um, that I guess we could call it conflict or con- uh, contrast, but I, I get to witness how my responses to things have changed makes everything different. So the other day I had opened up my freezer and I noticed that like on the top shelf, which is underneath the ice maker, mm-hmm. um, there were like dribbles of water like all over everything. And I went, uh-oh. Now, I've had this happen once before, and so I knew, I immediately knew it meant the tube that the water comes through to fill the ice maker had dislodged and was now just sending the water nilly-willy all over my freezer. Yes. Uh-huh. Which, and is, so which is a very wet past, and undesirable situation. <laughs> <laughs> and ice is really important to me because I love iced drinks. Oh, okay. And well... So, um, so anyway, I just looked at it, and in the moment that I went, oh, there's a problem, I just went, oh, okay, that's fixable. You know, and I turned the ice maker off, and I'm like, and when I can come back to it later on today, I'll fix it because I know what to do. Mm-hmm. But, but see, once upon a time, 
even though I had already fixed it and I had a knowledge of what to do, in the past, in my past life, oh, my gosh, my response to that would have been like, I can't believe this is happening again, <laughs> and, and it would have ruined my whole day. Oh, yeah. It's so easy to do that. And now, yeah, and it's like I kind of didn't even skip a beat, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't put on the calendar or the schedule, you know, when I'm going to fix it. And it was maybe a couple hours later, I think I was fixing dinner, and I went to get ice, and the thought just came, take the ice maker out, and I kind of looked at it, and I'm like, yep, I can confirm it was what I thought, the little tube fell out. And I started jiggling with things, and then the next thing I knew, I had a screwdriver, and I was taking this panel off, and, you know, then it was like the ice tube was filled with ice, so I'm running hot water through it. And I'm, But it's like the point is, within probably 10 minutes, I had fixed the problem, and I realized I was able to fix the problem because I had no contrast anymore. I had no resistance. Now, I did have the first moment of contrast was, oh, the ice maker's broken. I have water all over the place. But I buoyed back into pivoting toward what I desired, which was my ice maker to work, so fast, there wasn't even time to build momentum on the negative emotions. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't have them. Right. I mean, it might have been there for like maybe half a second, and poof, gone. You just actually described a nice narrative there that helps clarify for me what makes a good positive story because Ooh. if you if you had if you had treated that as the negative situation the one where you were going crazy that could have turned into a two-hour movie similar to, to the <laughs> yeah. will smith movie it oh, went all in, the different in my ways life it was a two-hour yeah. movie <laughs> and it, it would just play out in all kinds of terrible ways until finally we had the the denouement and the final resolution but you mm-hmm. achieved a resolution in 10 minutes which means that good stories are short stories. That's interesting. The ones that are are all you know dysfunctional and out of control—they're the movies that last five hours. <laughs> 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 and that, that's actually too much of a generalization, but I think it is true that shorter stories have a greater chance of being happier stories because you get through the conflict faster. Hmm. I love how you are able to hear my story, hear whatever I say, and feed it back to me in a way that I don't hear it or even recognize <laughs> that that point that you make. That's the fun of having discussion instead of just, you know, one of us narrating a radio show for an hour. Oh, absolutely. By, yeah. oh, by the way, if any listener wants to participate in the discussion, too, we want to encourage you to call in. Uh, the number is 860-264-5432. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you're hearing it in the podcast, obviously that doesn't work because we're on the air live here on November 30th between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern time. So if you're not listening in that time frame, it won't work to call. But nevertheless, if you are listening in that time frame, call us. We'd love to have you. But, yeah, and I, if, I agree and with if you. And can't do it today, call another time because another we'll time, entertain yeah. questions, comments, stories. Just about anything you have to say will give us a bouncing off place for the next thing we're going to talk <laughs> That's about. That's right. It gives us lots of bouncing off places, and it's fun, too, because the times we've had guests have been really great, just so much fun. But, uh, yeah, I think we're on to something here, this this idea of the short story being the story where you, you can actually have a good, happy story. And that that's actually a, a source of relief for me, because I've been trying to figure out all the different ways that we can make this truly what our positioning statement says, that this is a place for your daily dose of happy. Well, in order to give the daily dose of happy, I actually want to have lots of doses of happy in the show. And that's what our little stories do. We, what, any story that you and I come up with to tell is essentially a short story that has just enough conflict in it and a resolution. But because we aren't swimming in that conflict and suffering all the pains and slings and arrows of it, it doesn't turn into a depression session. <laughs> you know, many, um, gosh, this is probably about 20 years ago. I had a friend who, he's still my friend, but at that time, he said to me, you know, I really would like to have a session with you, like not just a friend session. I want like a paying client session. I went, okay. Mm-hmm. So we had our session. Um, he got a breakthrough, which was awesome. Good. And then I remember we were standing in, our, in the foyer for him to leave, and I just said to him, I said, well, I'm really curious, um, was it 
what you expected because you've known me for a while. You know what conversation with me is like, but, you know, how was this different or the same? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he went, well, you talked more about yourself than I expected. Really? Yeah, and I just kind of like went, okay, he said that sort of in a tone of voice that was a little bit negative. And so then I responded, I said, well, was it a problem for you? And he said, well, no, actually it wasn't. I just didn't think that that's what it was like. Because years ago, nobody had the word life coach. I was considered, quote, a counselor. Ah. So he didn't think that that's what he would expect from a counselor. And then in other situations throughout the years, um, I, I've just, it's like that's stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, but I think my stories are good stories. I think they help people understand things. And then I had someone that I highly respected. He was a mentor for me. And we were at a business function, and we were all staying at this big hotel. And so he walked me back to my hotel room. And while we were standing saying goodbye, we brought up all sorts of personal things. And one of the things I talked about was how, you know, I had been doing counseling for quite some time, and that's what I love to do. Well, he tells me how his wife is a pastoral counselor, and so she does it too. And and I said something that made him just, like, jump on me. Really? And I think I, I think I was talking about how I use the stories of my life because I've had so many, and I'm just I love to tell stories. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's something that really is fun for me, and I've been told that people are either entertained from them or by them, or they learn something. So of course that has fed the fuel of me wanting to do it more. Right. And he immediately said, "Oh, you should never talk about yourself in a session." <laughs> which immediately took me back to my friend who said he was surprised I talked about myself. Mm-hmm. And that shut me down for the longest time. Because oh, really? Someone, male authority, I really respected him. Yeah. And he just said, shouldn't do it. And I went, oh. And he's like, yeah, my wife, she's had this educational background and that this, this, and this, and she was trained. You just never talk about yourself. It's always about the client. Which and is so the way the most, time, that's the way most psychotherapists taught. You know, when you, when you go to, to school to, to become a social worker or a psychotherapist or something along that line, that, that's one of the tenets of what, what are taught in many of the different models. So I, I can see where it comes from, even if it didn't help you. And I, <laughs> and I could understand it too, but I kept, I, where, I, where it shut me down is I had felt for a long time that my strength, one of my strengths was in my storytelling. And I didn't know what to do with that. And so I just stopped doing coaching altogether for a good good while mm. until I started to recognize that those two people in my world, my male friend and my, you know, this, the, my male uh, mentor, they were just their words. They were their opinions. Mm-hmm. And it didn't mean that I had to change everything about who I am to comply to what these two people's opinions were. And as I, I mean, I'm very intuitive and I have lots of, you know, meditative conversations with spirit and I got some very implicit information, which was, Wendy, it's who you are. Just be it. It reminds me of... And those who are attracted to you will appreciate your stories and they won't think of it like, oh, you're taking up my time (laughs) because you're talking about yourself. They'll recognize the value that's inherent in the story, and they will they will be moved by it. They will get breakthroughs, and they'll continue to pay you. Yeah. <laughs> You'll continue to have them come back over and over. And I went, wow. Mm. And you know what? Ever since I allowed myself to really believe that and know that this is just a part of who I am and it's mm-hmm. a good part, sure. I yeah. haven't had one person in years complain or tell me, um, I feel like I should get half my money back because you talked about your stories too much. That makes it's total sense to me. It, it makes sense in a lot of different ways. One way, it may, one way it makes a lot of sense is that it reminds me of the situation with my wife when she was a psychotherapist. Now, she was a therapist before I met her, actually. And I, I knew her, like, in the last third of her career as a psychotherapist. But she had told me, you know, stuff that happened along the way. One of the things that happened to her very early on, or happened with her, I should say, is she was taught certain models of, of therapy in school, and in fact, uh, uh, 
those who go to get their license and so forth, you have to learn just about all the different models that are out there and you have to regurgitate them all back and so forth, which is kind of silly when you think about it because you don't use all models in therapy. You use one. You use the one that works for you. And that's what she ended up doing. She ended up developing basically her own model because it worked. It was how she did things. And I don't need to get into the specifics of it. The point is it was her way of doing things and it wasn't always a match to some existing model somewhere. And she was perfectly fine with that, and it worked. In fact, she ended up getting results that the traditional models weren't getting. She would get clients who were, were not having breakthroughs or whatever, and she'd help them break through in a day. I mean, it was that kind of thing. So it, cool. it certainly makes sense to me that it doesn't really matter what the model makers have to say. What really matters is what, what works <laughs> for you. But the other half of it, and this is the, the second point that I was thinking about while you were telling your, your really nice story, is when you tell a story – you, as Wendy Dillard, tell a story. You aren't doing so to play up your ego. You're doing it to make a point or to express something that you think is going to be helpful to the person who's hearing the story. And I, I strongly suspect, I, I, I imagine this doesn't happen too often, but I strongly suspect that on those occasions where you start to tell a story and it's just not connecting right with the other person, they let you know in some way pretty quickly and you change gears. I I imagine you probably don't insist on saying, well, you got to hear my story. <laughs> it's just not your oh, personality right. type. I, I will change on a dime because if somebody is not getting what I want them to get from it or or anything of value, then there's no point in me hearing my voice anymore. So really, and this is my conclusion to all this thing, what he was complaining about was that the session should be about the client. And my counterpoint to him is it was. It, it was about was. the client. The like, fact that you were telling stories out of your own experience doesn't make it any less about the client, as long as those stories match up to what the needs of the client are. And, you know, I know we all have different learning styles. And for me, the, the way that I learn the best oftentimes is by hearing what is possible because somebody else has experienced it personally. Oh, yeah. And that they're not just teaching it from a book or speculating, but they've really had this life experience. And when someone shares their life experience with me, it gives me hope. I feel encouraged. And, it, I mean, I get such a sense of what is possible that it actually does shift my vibration greatly because I might be in discouragement thinking nothing's possible, but when I know something is possible, it changes everything. Oh, it yeah. changes my thinking, which changes my beliefs, which changes my expectations, which change what I eventually actually manifests in my life. In fact, so, I, I know we're talking and working with Joel over the months and years and hearing the stories that he had to tell, there are situations where if he didn't tell some part of his story, he wouldn't even connect with the client in the first place. There have been clients that, that have come sense. to him. There, 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 there are clients that have come to him that have been so messed up and in such a bad place that the only way they could hear him is if he told a story that matched up exactly with their own experience. And then they gained credibility. And these were the ones who had kicked through the system and they talked to everybody and nobody could help them. And they were cynical and they were angry. Usually there were kids and they were just, you know, just kids who'd been through the worst stuff you could possibly imagine. They were in the foster care system. They were, you know, they, they had been abused. They had been neglected. They, they were just in a really bad place. They had bad attitudes. They couldn't get along with, with peers. There, there were, you know, upstarts in school and it was just one bad thing after another. And, and, in fact, he told the story numerous times about how he adopted his first son. And when he first met his first son, his first son basically threw a, a, a rambling sentence of pejoratives at him to tell him, you, you don't understand anything about me. And Joel's answer was, well, yeah, I think I do because I've eaten out of a garbage can. And he shot his head at him saying, What? <laughs> Somebody who actually had yeah. had an experience similar to his. And so Joel told the whole story about how he had literally been a gambling addict and he had gambled all his money away and he had no place to live and he had no food. And he actually ate out of, he ate, ate out of a dumpster in McDonald's in Las Vegas. Wow. I mean, if you're, if you're a kid who's been through some rough stuff, you're going to listen to that one. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, if it he felt, hadn't told that story, that actually would have been a crime if he hadn't told that story to that kid. That was what the kid needed to hear more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, there have been, had been, past tense, things that had occurred in my life that I had so much shame over and just mm-hmm. guilt and regret. And it's like, oh, my God, I wouldn't want anybody to know these things happened to me. But at the same time, I started to really hone in on the people who made the biggest impact in my life were the ones that told me the things that I called shameful. Mm. And yet they weren't ashamed to, like, lay themselves bare in front of me and and share some of the most intimate, darkest, deepest things that would have just killed me at the time to say out loud. Mm. And I know from those experiences, I really gained this understanding that I want to be like that too. I don't want there to be any shame in my life, and I want to be a person who can share anything if it's going to make a difference for somebody. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to go around, like if I were in Joel's, had Joel's circumstances, I wouldn't go around telling everybody, hey, did you know I used to eat kind of a dumpster behind McDonald's? <laughs> because it wasn't in context. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But for the person who needs to hear that, if I have something in my past history that could meet somebody where they're at, I'm, I am today willing to tell anybody anything. And I remark just to myself sometimes going, Wendy, you really have no shame. And I don't. I mean, I did for a long time, but that's something out of my desire to be able to connect with somebody at any level necessary I'm like, I'm willing to pull anything out of my life's history to make that connection. And so that's why I'm really free with my stories. And the only thing that I'm a little cautious about is I don't want to bring anyone down with me. No, no. (laughs) I don't want to use names or specific dates or places just in case it incriminates someone else because I'm only okay with incriminating myself. (laughs) And... I don't think I'm really incriminating myself. Yeah, that's, if that's I can laugh one, right? at it, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and the thing about feeling shame, I I mean, I can I can remember the, the the event that happened yesterday I told you about where I was out taking the walk and I just got filled with this huge amount of joy poured out and I started laughing wildly practically. When I did, I I looked around like is there anybody looking? <laughs> <laughs> I still have that, you know, old programming, like, oh, I, I really shouldn't be showing this to anybody. <laughs> so here, here, here is my wish for you, Walt. What's that? <laughs> that? Have another opportunity as soon as, I mean, really soon, to have that level of joy where it spills out all over the place, where you're laughing out loud, and that you look around to see if there's anybody that you can influence to laugh with you. <laughs> How's that? I mean, that, there's something cool to shoot for, right? <laughs> well, I, I, it's not something I want to shoot for right away. Let's put it that way. <laughs> All right, baby steps. I, 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 yeah. Well, that's what we're I'll taught. That's what we're taught with the law of attraction. You don't try to take the big steps all at once. You try to take the little steps. Well, because little steps get you, you there. Just... Go ahead. The little steps. The little steps get you there. You take the little steps, and eventually, you get there. That's just and the way it is. How how you responded to what I said, let me know that was too big of a jump for you. Yeah. For right now. For right now. And that you need you need some interim steps that will bridge you toward that. I'm sure it's going to um, happen too. And that's such an important aspect in the law of attraction, um, because I can't tell you how many times I've tried to make a leap that was way too big for where I was. Oh, me too. Mm. You know, and so I'm kind of at a point now I can kind of shoot for the moon because I'm kind of in that starry-eyed place quite often. (laughs) (laughs) But there are some things where, you know, I realize I'm very limited in my thought process and to, like, set a goal for something that to me seems impossible. Well, that, you know, according to Law of Attraction, don't try to set a goal that feels impossible because if it feels impossible, it's impossible. Right. Yeah. It's something that feels possible in small incremental steps, and eventually it can grow and expand into that thing that today feels impossible all of a sudden becomes very possible. If not, it's about to happen. 
and, and this is actually why I decided that uh, this would be a good topic to, to suggest doing this idea of the pursuit of happiness. Now, it came out of, I was reading again from the Abraham Hicks book, The Law of Attraction. And mm-hmm. uh, because I hadn't read it before, I figured, okay, it's about time. <laughs> and I got to a section where uh, the, a lot of what happens in the book is Jerry Hicks interacting with Abraham. And so they're basically transcribing those conversations. And in this one part of the conversation, Jerry says, what if someone would say to you, Abraham, I want to be more joyful. How can I use what you're teaching to attract more joy, happiness, and harmony into my life? And Abraham's reply is, well, first, we would compliment the person on discovering the most important desire of all, the seeking of joy. And for in seeking and finding joy, you not only find perfect alignment with your inner being and with who you really are, but you also find vibrational alignment with all the things you desire. And when joy is really important to you, you do not allow yourself to focus upon things that do not feel good. And the result of thinking only thoughts that feel good would cause you to create a wonderful life filled with all things that you desire. So that, to me, summarizes what I'm trying to do in my life. I'm trying to create as much joy as I can possibly create in my life. And I want to be on that high plane as much as I possibly can mm-hmm. and just, just live there. Because when that happens, I am convinced all these things are going to be happening that are going to be just more than I can practically bear, <laughs> which is not true, of course, but that's the way it feels right now. But I'm trying to get there, you know. <laughs> you know what? Years ago, I, or, you know, maybe a couple, I found in a catalog, um, it was actually a Christmas um, piece of d- decor, mm-hmm. and it, it, it just said the word joy. Mm. And it's kind of like silvery and sparkly and, you know, oh gosh, it's probably a foot tall by about, 18 inches wide, and I thought to myself, well, that is just really attractive to me. And I went, what are you going to do with that, Wendy? And I thought, you know what? I want it because I want the word joy to be displayed somewhere that I will see it often because when I see the word joy, I can't help but interpret what joy is to me. And at least it kind of keeps it in the forefront of my mind to be focused on joy. Yeah. Yeah. And... I do, I do have it, and I look at it often, and it makes me happy, and it makes me smile when I even look at it. And I don't know. I think I've always had a connection with the word joy on some level, and I don't know where this came from, but somehow at some point my mother started calling me Joy Bell. No kidding. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know where she got that from. Hmm. But like – my gre- greeting, you know, like uh, birthday cards and Christmas cards and things like that, she would address it to her Joy Bell. Mm. You know, and even in emails, she calls me Joy Bell. Yeah. And I, I really have no idea where it comes from, but I will tell you, it always makes me smile. Sure. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm like, that, that's, you know, there are really ugly nicknames. But that's not one of them. <laughs> it's a lovely nickname. <laughs> well, we actually rescued two cats, and when we rescued them they they had been abandoned by people across the street who had been evicted from their house and so when when they when we found them they found us really when we took them into the house we needed to give them names and we were very much aware of how important it is to aim for you know the higher levels of vibration so one is called joy and the other one's called harmony i love that yeah what's even more interesting is that we went to get them fixed and it turned out that joy was a boy but <laughs> But joy is still joy. We, I, I refuse to call him anything but joy because he is. That's the other thing about it. Wendy, joy is the most joyful cat I've ever met in my life. This is a cat who is like the neighborhood ambassador. He introduces himself to everyone in our, in our apartment complex and insists on getting petted. Not very long. He doesn't want to be there very long, but he wants to go introduce himself to everyone. This is a cat who, you know, when, when he wants to have some attention, he'll get up on the the uh, the coffee table and start thrashing about stuff flying in all directions but man he is just in thralls of joy <laughs> wow so i guess what he one of the things he's bringing to us in terms of teaching us something is that joy is not based on gender joy is an equal opportunity feeling right. and emotion <laughs> Hey, I decide if if women can have male names why can't a male have a female name well, and who said Joy has to be a female name? Well, it no longer is, actually. Now it's a male name. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, you know, until you said that, because I have a cousin named Joy, and until you said that, I hadn't even thought about it in terms of 
female versus male because I was telling you about the the plaque that I have that says joy. Right, right. And I was just thinking about it in terms of an emotional name. I wasn't even thinking of it as a name, a uh, person's name. Well, well I figured huh. that we're, we're like trailblazers. We're, we're among the first to name a male joy. So, you know, look for it in your name books in the next five or ten years. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's kind of like years ago I named one of my cats Sapphire because mm. he had these beautiful sapphire eyes. Ah, yes. And then yeah. he got a little older and his eyes turned gold. <laughs> <laughs> or actually more of a hazel green color. Right. And I looked at him and I went, but you're sapphire to me. I'm sorry. If it doesn't match your eye color anymore, too bad. <laughs> you're still sapphire. <laughs> and even that, it was a boy cat. And Sapphire is beautiful. Sapphires are beautiful gems. So why can't a cat be beautiful? Because he was my beautiful baby. I I adored him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sure. Oh, yeah. So now that we've broken down gender barriers. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) There are no barriers that can stand in our presence. (laughs) <laughs> Let's tear them all down. <laughs> Except if they serve I think we're that possible. No, wait. I know we're that possible. We're that powerful. Oh, yeah. Anything is truly possible. Of mm-hmm. course. Well, we have the power of choice. And the power of choice is what is how we deliberately apply the science of creation. That That's all of life right there. It's all based on choice. So we're exercising choice, and we're proud of it. I'm very proud of it. And then the next question to me is, and do you stand in your powerful choice? Or do you let choices be taken and let somebody else run over you with their choices? More of the first, less of the second. I'm, I, I can't say I am 100% yet, but it takes an awful lot to run over me. And even in those situations where someone does almost successfully run over me, they don't actually do it, I'm getting really good at leaving the room. <laughs> And exercising choice. <laughs> yeah, exercising choice, basically, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I choose to be elsewhere. <laughs> you know, I, I was at a business conference a couple months ago, and I was sitting at a table, and it was kind of, it was a social thing, cocktail hour kind of thing, and I was sitting with uh, myself and three others, and the conversation I thought was going very well, and then one person had a reason that she had to leave for the evening, and so she was gone. Mm-hmm. And now it was just me and these other two. Mm-hmm. And somehow I could sense the tone of the conversation shifted, like ah. downward. Mm. And one person starts talking about how, because we all work in different offices, how in her office people are so unfriendly. And she started saying, and could you believe they didn't even invite me to such and such event. I'm in the office just like everyone else. And I told this person, how come I wasn't invited? And I could kind of hear the victimhood in her voice. Oh, yeah. And she she just kind of went on and told a couple other stories, very briefly, about how she felt that she was being left out. Well, immediately, the other person at the table starts telling her stories of woe. Oh, of course. And how she feels the same way, even though she's in a completely different office, a completely different country. And here are all the things that are going wrong for her. Well, she didn't want to be left out. She had to be included in that conversation. (laughs) Well, and what's so funny is they were were not misfits with each other. Right. They just felt like misfits, you know, in their offices. And I got to tell you, this did not feel good to me. No. I just, I felt their energy. I felt the poor me in what they were saying. And... What You know, you were talking about the power of choice. Well, here's one of the areas where I had not in the past always been very successful mm. because I didn't know how to exit an unpleasant conversation. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of interjected a couple sentences, you know, that kind of said, well, if you want people to be friendly to you and to say good morning to you, are you saying good morning to them? And she's like, well, no. I said, well, why don't you just – and I wasn't making a wrong – as like, perhaps you might want to consider saying good morning to the people around you and see if over time they start kind of pepping up and wanting to include you and be friendly with you. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> she didn't say those words, but that was kind of her expression like, you're raining on my parade. I was kind of having fun commiserating with this other coworker. How dare and you? <laughs> in that moment, I thought, you know what? 
she's not moving in a direction that would make the conversation acceptable and fun for me. Right. And so I thought, okay. And everything in my brain, while they're still commiserating, I'm like, all right, how can I socially leave this in a way that they don't feel like I'm abandoning them or making them wrong? And all of a sudden, the thought came to me. I said, you know, I need to get a, another bottle of water. Do you guys need anything? And they said, yeah, we'll have some more water. I said, I'll go get it. And poof, I headed out. And do you know, so many people stopped me along the way. It probably took me 20, 25 minutes before I ever got back to their table. And when I did, it was time for them to leave. <laughs> so I, I guess you don't want the water then, huh? <laughs> well, no, they took it to go. <laughs> well, they took it to go. Oh, okay. <laughs> but i got to tell you, I was really proud of myself because that was the first time I think I'd ever exercised the power of choice in a way that really worked for me, and I didn't offend anybody in the process. That's really good. And that, that felt really good. Yeah. What, what you basically were doing there is you were exercising what um, Abraham calls the third universal law, the art of allowing. You allowed them to be who they were. That's true, because I didn't judge them. I didn't yeah. feel any angst towards them at all. Yeah. I just knew I didn't. I just knew that I want. I needed to honor me. I wanted to honor me in that moment, mm -hmm. which is, I don't like to be around things that don't feel good. And what you actually discovered was, it's not that you need them to honor you; it's that you needed you to honor you, and you did. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Which is very but, cool. Yeah. It was very cool. It felt great, and um, I'm like now, I'm not concerned about being in social situations going forward. Uh, being afraid that I'm going to get cornered into some unpleasant conversation because I didn't come up with the idea of how to exit that conversation. I asked my inner being, how do I get out of this? Mm -hmm. Or how do I stay in an environment that feels good to me? Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. idea just occurred, you know what, let's go get some more water. There you go. And then, of course, by asking them, would you like some, that made me be gracious. Sure. You know, so it all felt really good. I'm like, I love this. I love that I can ask for insight anytime I need it or guidance, and it's always on tap. That's why they call it insight. It's inside. <laughs> I like that. Yes, it is. It's true. That's why it's called that. <laughs> it's looking within. <laughs> now, there is one other thing that we should mention, and I, I say we should mention because Abraham mentioned it in the book, and it's not something that I think would have occurred to you and it's not something that would have occurred to me but I do know that this is a topic that would occur to many people particularly those who are a bit skeptical of the whole concept of law of attraction and so forth so I'll bring it up Jerry asked the question some would say that for a person to want to be joyous all the time would be a very selfish way to want to be as though desiring joy is a negative that's not really a question that's more of a statement but Abraham answered it anyway Abraham said we are often accused of teaching selfishness and we always agree that we certainly do teach selfishness. For you cannot perceive life from any perspective other than that of yourself. Selfishness is the sense of self. It is the picture that you hold of yourself. And whether you are focusing upon yourself or another, you are doing it all from your selfish vibrational viewpoint. And whatever you are feeling is your point of attraction. And I think that's a really important point. Even, even though it's not one you and I would normally think about, there is nothing wrong with being selfish. Selfish is a good thing. We kind of need to dismiss this whole idea that selfish is somehow a bad thing from our perspective and say, it's good to be selfish. It's good for everyone to be selfish. It's actually impossible for us to be otherwise. And that was the point I was going to make. There is no person on the planet that isn't selfish. It's just the ones that don't think of themselves as selfish don't recognize the definition that we're talking about. Yeah. In fact, the ones who are who consider themselves to be unselfish, if you really look at their thoughts and behavior, what you find is that they're lying. It's not that they're unselfish. <laughs> it's that they're insisting that you behave the way their self wants you to behave, which is actually extreme unhealthy selfishness. It's not unselfish right. at all. There's nothing unselfish about it. There's, there's nothing selfless about wanting other people to behave the way you want them to behave. But that's the way they treat it. Very true. Yeah. So selfishness, good. 
Well, and, you know, because most of us, like me, I was trained, you know, that selfishness is wrong, it's bad, don't do it. Oh, sure. And so, me too. you know, I was willing to sacrifice myself left, right, and all over just so that I don't appear selfish. And then on the flip side, you know, I'm the one who ends up in therapy because my life's a mess. <laughs> and what I realized in therapy was that I gave my time, attention, and efforts to everyone else first but me. But because now I think about things in terms of everything we do is really for our own self, like every choice we make is because we think doing it is going to make us feel good. Right. Even in my, quote, unselfishness and sacrifice, it in a way was still for me because when I did these, quote, selfish, selfless things, I did it to feel good. That's right. Yeah. I knew I would feel good because somebody would give me accolades and appreciation and praise because I did something for them or, or or whatever. It's like my giving of who I am was still not really selfless, even though I wanted to believe it was. Like, oh, I'm sacrificing myself for you. No, I wasn't. If I was sacrificing myself for someone, it's because I still got some something positive out of it. Even if it was really small, I still got something positive out of it. Because we can't do anything without having something that we're getting out of it, or we would stop doing it. Even if it's inadequate. It at all. Even if it's inadequate. That, that's actually part of the next point that Abraham makes in the, in the text here. Uh, it says, if, however, you are not selfish enough to insist upon focusing in a way that feels good and you are focused on something that feels bad, then your point of attraction is such that you are negatively attracting, and you will not like what is coming when it gets there. Unless you are selfish enough to care about how you feel and therefore direct your thoughts in such a way that you are allowing a true connection to your inner being, you have nothing to give to another anyway. You can't help somebody else unless you're being selfish, is what it's saying. And it's true. You can't. It's not possible to help somebody else selflessly. Which, that leads to the concept of you have to fill yourself up first. That's right. And then you give, and then you give out of your overflow. And the, and the giving out of the overflow isn't selfless either, and it isn't self-sacrifice. Not if you want it to actually be helpful. If you don't care about whether it's helpful, then yeah, go right ahead. But all you're really going to end up doing is negatively attracting. If you want it to be helpful... What you have to do is give from the perspective of this is helping me too. And one of the best ways to do that is if, you, if you're talking with somebody or you're helping somebody or you, know, you want to help somebody. The, the, the example they gave, it's not in this section of the book, it's another section of the book, is of you, you, you want to give money to somebody, right, Who, who's, or, or food because they're starving or whatever like that. And when you do that, you're doing it because you're thinking to yourself, oh, poor them, they're so poor, they're, they're lacking food, I'm going to help them out. And in doing so, you actually don't help them very much because you are perpetuating the image of them being poor and helpless. Whereas the better thing to do is to focus in your mind what it's like for them to have achieved their goals, to have achieved their success so that now they're able to care for themselves, now they're able to feed themselves now they have enough money to do the things they need to do like you know putting the roof over their head and having the clothing and, and buying the food and so forth and when you put them in that perspective in your own mind you're giving them the best help you can give them because now you're sending to them the ideal outcome rather than the poor them syndrome absolutely yeah you know there's there will oh, you know, the Bible says there will always be poor or there will be poor always. Um, you know, there are always people that we will encounter that are asking for something. Um, around In the area I live, normally I experience that when I go to the gas station. Mm -hmm. There will be somebody there asking for money um, or, you know, can you help me get from here to there and I don't have any money to put in my gas tank, that kind of thing. And for many years, it felt really uncomfortable because I just didn't like feeling put upon. And I didn't know, is it the right thing to do? Is it not the right thing to do? Am I being cruel if I don't? You know, am I being selfish if I don't? Um, kind of like what we're talking about here. Right. And as I got more in tune to my own inner being, 
I love being able to just go inside and ask. I mean, I'm sitting in my car. I'm about to get out. I see somebody approaching me, and I'm immediately asking my inner being, you know, if I give to this person, and I'm willing, but if I give to this person, will this really be helpful to them? Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes I get no. And so I just say to the person, you know, I wish you the best that you'll get what you need. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's on. good. That's a good thing And there thing are other do. times I'll say, how much gas do you need? And I put my credit card in and I pump it for them. <laughs> but I, it's like because I'm checking in with my inner being, that's what gives me my own personal sense of certainty as to when it's really being helpful and when it's really not. And I'm no longer just guessing and then having to go, oh, no, I feel guilty because I wasn't helpful, you know. I agree. In fact, as you're saying that, I'm realizing that those times where I have had that uncomfortable feeling in my stomach, and I I have interpreted it to mean, well, I feel guilty because I'm not helping the person. But what I'm realizing now is that's not what it really meant. Those feelings really meant I'm getting a signal that says this is not the right way to help this person. And now that I understand from having read the Law of Attraction book that the best thing you can do for somebody is to hold them in a mental image that is an image of them being successful and reaching their dreams and how happy and excited they'll be and then send that energy to them. Now I have something that I can do whenever I see somebody like that who I don't have the right feeling about. Now I can give Mm -hmm. them something. And that, I think, I've just started trying it actually in the last couple days, that kind of thing. But I think what that's going to do is it's going to alleviate that pit in my stomach. And I think it's probably also going to help the other person too because ultimately that's what they need. They need to have that positive vision in their head. Now, will they take it in? Will they accept it? I don't know. That's not my decision. That's their decision. All I can do is offer it for them. I've been the person on the road stranded before and have somebody come and help me. You know, you might call it rescue me. I certainly did. It was like, oh, my gosh, angel in disguise because I was so grateful that someone came and helped me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know that sometimes, and I knew I was in a good vibrational place to receive that, but I also know that there are times when maybe, and I'm not talking about being stranded on the road, but there are times that I have a big want or a big ask and it doesn't get met. And I used to think what's wrong with me, you know, that it's not happening, but what I have found is oftentimes when my ask is not met, it has caused me to ask different questions. Yes. And then the new questions lead to new information, which lead to new questions, which lead to new information. And it, I call it following the breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. And as I do, I realize the thing that was my ask in the beginning isn't really what I really wanted. And then the thing I end up with is what I really desired. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so... That's helped me to kind of recognize, even in the moments that I'm not getting what I think I want, instead of feeling like, how come the world's out to get me, or why doesn't God love me, or any of those negative possibilities of thoughts, now I go, hmm, I wonder what about this maybe needs to be clarified in a different way. Maybe Mm. there's a different direction. Or I wonder what the essence is of what I'm truly desiring that maybe... I'm fixated on something that isn't really going to be the culmination of what really will make me happy. And I'm willing to explore new possibilities. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So even a no doesn't mean no, not in my world. Yeah, I don't think there's actually any such thing as a no. I think think all the answers are yes. But unfortunately, I can't explore that anymore because we're down to our last minute in the show. We don't have enough time to go into anymore. I knew you were going to go there. (laughs) (laughs) But before we lose everybody, I want to remind everyone, if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so. Do it either at LOAToday.net, which you are probably at right now if you're not at the speaker website. You're probably there listening to the show anyway if you're listening live. Um, Just click on the little uh, button below the uh, player that you're listening to. If you are listening on PRN, you can still go to LOAToday.net. If you're using a smartphone, you can also subscribe via Apple iTunes or via Google Play. So lots of different options. and. Wendy, it's been a pleasure as usual. I can't wait to do it tomorrow. I loved it. Let's do it again tomorrow, Walt. Sounds good to me. We invite you all back, too, to join us next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.